Welcome to My Time, My Life with Trinette Faint. On this season of my podcast, I'll be talking to a variety of people, from creative entrepreneurs to business owners to writers to entertainers and others, about being bold and courageous, overcoming obstacles, and taking risks, all in the name of chasing dreams and building a career. I hope their stories will inspire you on your own journey. Thanks for listening. My guest today is playwright and landscape photographer, Kurt Strickland. Kurt is also a political and cultural essayist, expressing his views on topical issues of the day. When he isn't writing, he's practicing landscape photography, born out of his previous career as a former owner of Great American Art, one of the largest commercial art corporations in the United States. Kurt believes that all forms of art should serve to heal, inspire, provoke, challenge, and offer hope but most of all, to connect and remind us all of our common humanity. He believes in the power of words and their power to ignite change and inspire and to be used as a tool to fight the power. In 2020, Kurt received a double lung transplant, an event that had profound effects on both his writing and his life. This experience is the basis of a new play called Double Lung that he's currently developing. Kurt is finishing up his fifth play in a 10-play opus on America, with each play set in a different decade. He honed his craft at Lesley University in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where he recently earned a master's degree in playwriting. Hi, Kurt. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for joining. I appreciate you taking time on a Saturday to come on my podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I got nothing going on. I don't think that's true, but <laughs> thank you anyway. <laughs> um, so let's just dive in. So firstly, tell me, how's your health these days? Have you fully recovered from your transplant? Um, yeah, I had my transplant three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll tell you a little story about it. So um, about five years before I had the transplant, I was diagnosed with IPF, which is statistical uh fibrosis which is basically where collagen attacks the lung and it's a slow process of um suffocation so there's no cure and there's no cure or no cure and no cause um and ultimately the only solution is as a transplant so um after i got diagnosed they put me on medication it's supposed to slow it up Mm-hmm. And I think it did, but after about you know the fourth year, I started being on oxygen twenty four hours a day, and uh, so I was really hurting. Like in December of two thousand twenty or two thousand nineteen, mm-hmm. but actually in, in November of two thousand nineteen, I got stem cell therapy, mm-hmm. and I actually started to feel really good. A change, I, I noticed a really significant change. But then in January of 2020, I think my wife got COVID, which mm-hmm. she passed on to me, and uh, I just uh, took a nosedive. Mm-hmm. So I was on oxygen 24 hours a day. Um, that's the only way I can breathe. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the only solution was a, a trans- transplant. And uh, before you get a transplant, before you put it on the list, you have to go through all these medical tests to make sure you don't have cancer or mm-hmm. some other thing. So I finally found, uh, finished those tests and they put me on the transplant list. 
Now, when you're on the transplant list, it's generally about three-month wait. Sometimes it's a year, sometimes two years. Some some people um, die waiting. So I don't know how, how long I had, but um, uh, I got new lungs in two days. Jesus. So. Um, oh, my God. So you know, I don't know if I don't know if I had three days. It really humbles you. Wow. And um, uh, so I wake up every morning uh, in gratitude. And um, you know, prior to you getting a transplant, you really think about mortality a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, you you sort of scan your life. And uh, so I'm, I. W- I wasn't afraid to die. I believe, you know, I'm a spirit with a mind and a body, mm-hmm. but I just felt incomplete. And um, uh, so it was a blessing, you know? Um, so in, you know, I had my lung transplant at Mass General, which is mm-hmm. one of the finest hospitals in the nation. And the level of science and uh, research that goes on in that place is astronomical. Yeah. But, but something else goes on in most hospitals. Uh, miracles happen all the time. I was a miracle. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a spiritual aspect to it. So, um, yeah, I had a great support team, mostly my wife. And uh, one of the things that you realize going through that is uh, how much love and beauty you are surrounded with. It changes your outlook. And um, uh, so I'm, like I said, I'm uh, grateful every single day. Wow. And I'm, and by the way, so I'm feeling good. I'm probably one of their best patients. Um, you know, I've, I've been a, a vegetarian for forever. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty much on a plant-based diet. And I think that helps in recovery mm-hmm. and it helped before that. Um, so I did a lot of things right. And, uh, you know, I ex- have to exercise every day, which I don't enjoy. I used to play a lot of basketball, which I enjoyed, but exercising is just, I can't stand it, but I have to do it. <laughs> My life depends on it. So uh, well, all of our lives depend on exercise. It's just some people don't do it. Yes. Um, so that's a little, you know, kind of a nutshell um, of my lung transplant. And yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling very good. So. Well, good. And that is incredible. That. <laughs> That is just the most incredible story I've ever heard. <laughs> wow. Um, and so did this have any uh, bearing on you going to get your master's degree in playwriting? Um, no. Um, you know, I've always written plays, but very unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember maybe about uh, five years before my transplant, maybe three years, I just re-edited a play I wrote and, uh, you know, it was 170 pages and I didn't, you know, I changed maybe two col- uh, two semicolons or something like that. And I, um, and I knew it wasn't right. And then I had, I realized I didn't know the craft. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I kind of, I, I went back to UMass Boston to get my English degree and, um, and then I got into Leslie University's uh, Master of Fine Arts playwriting program. And it's there that I finally learned the craft. 
And um, it's a great program because you're working with uh, working playwrights. And uh, you do a lot of writing. You have to write a first draft of a full-length play every semester. Yeah. So not only the feedback, but also the uh, literature they had you read. And I felt I finally learned the craft. <clears throat> and because of that, my production went out the roof. So since, um, uh, since that time, I've written uh, four full-length plays and about uh, eight short plays. And um, when did you go back and get your degree? I was, uh, when I graduated, I was 68. So I, I went Love back uh, to uh, UMass Boston probably when I was uh, 65. Love that. <laughs> um, wow. And it's funny going back as a, you know, 60 year old. Um, when I was young, I was a horrible student and I would sit in the back row, never raise my hand. Now as a 60 year old, I'm an obnoxious old man that sits in the front row and raises their hand every, every, <laughs> but you know, I just loved the learning and, um, and you know, everything, everything I learned, I, I try to apply to my playwriting or a story I'm working on and every book I'm reading, uh, it's kind of magical. You know, I don't start out with the purpose of this, this book's going to help me with this play I'm writing, but it does, you know, things creep up and really kind of stimulates the stories I'm working on. So. Right. right. Um, that is the beauty of writing. Oh, sorry. Of reading. Yes. For writers. For yeah. sure. And um, it sounds like, you just had a much more better appreciation for the art of learning and stuff too, going back to school. Like I'm convinced that, you know, a lot of times going straight into college is just not for everybody. You don't get all the benefits of it that you would get after you have some life experience and return to the classroom. It sounds like that was the case for you. Yeah. I mean, I always, I was a horrible student, but I always was reading. Mm -hmm. And when I was young, I used to, for six months, I would uh, work these horrible jobs. <laughs> I was living at home, and then I'd have six months to read and study. Um, so, um, and, you know, when you're older, you go back, you have so much life experience to um, what you learn is so much deeper, you know, because of that life experience. Right. <laughs> when my kids graduate high school, I told them, yeah, yeah, you really should work for a year or two. And they looked at me like I was nuts. So um, <laughs> they just wanted to get over with. Um. Yeah, I took uh, ultimately about three and a half years off between high school and college. In my case, mm -hmm. I was pursuing modeling career in Paris and New York and stuff. But uh, what I did return to school I had a far greater appreciation for it than I'm fairly certain I would have had had I gone straight away. I would have probably dropped out or something would have happened. I don't know. But when I went back, it was it was a wonderful experience. Wonderful yeah. Experience. yeah. Yeah. What are some of the challenges you faced going back to school and how did you get over those? Um, my biggest challenge is uh, it was 
I started at UMass before my operation. So my biggest challenge was the walk from the parking lot to my classroom mm. because, um, you know, at the end there, going up six stairs was like climbing Mount Everest. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's funny, you know. Um, so I would go to courses. I had classes both in the day at night. At night, you know, there's older people. In the day, you know, you have some students are right out of high school. Now, UMass Boston generally has um, older students, mm -hmm. although now they have dormitories, so they're probably getting younger. But um, um, I just thought it was funny. And um, going back at my age, and, you know, I ain't Gareth. I'm sure um, a lot of the kids learned a lot from you more than the actual subject of the class. Yeah, because I, I was a loudmouth in class, so um, <laughs> uh, I was like a I was like a um, oddity. Some kid, want, yeah, I was at when I was at Leslie. Some kid sat down next to me and says, "I got you. Got to tell me your story. You know why you're here. You know." So I was like a, a kind of a freak. <laughs> <laughs> In so, the best way possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you enjoyed your time at Leslie University, it sounds like. Yes. Um, like I said, you know, I learned the craft. And learning the craft is actually a lifetime thing. I'm, I'm still um, studying stuff. I'm constantly reading plays. Um, and uh, it's a lifetime journey. But I enjoy it. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the fortunate position that I'm retired so I can do it all day. So, yeah, that's um, nice. Yeah, that's very nice. Um, how did having your transplant affect your creativity and your writing? <laughs> well, um, it changes you. Um, there's an urgency um, to my life now because. Um, yeah, I've heard two statistics. One, the average lifespan of a transplant is five and a half years. And I heard another one that was seven and a half years. Now I just met a guy or there, I met a guy who did 22 years. And um, so, you know, I have a passion to tell my stories. Um, and, you know, the clock is ticking. Um, so uh, I think... You know, it, it humbles you. It makes you more empathetic. It makes you kinder. Um, it makes you have a deep appreciation for a deep appreciation for people. Yeah. And I try to I try to honor the characters I write about, um, their courage. Um, and um, so, I, you know, it's my I feel it's like almost my duty to get these plays out. I'm I'm writing 10 plays. Uh, I'm really inspired by August Wilson, who also wrote 10 plays mm -hmm. for di 10 different decades. So um, mm. that's a that's sort of a, my target. Um, and I just started putting down ideas for my 1930s play. And um, so I've been reading a lot of books about that. Um, so I love the play that you shared with me, the short play, the speed dating one. Yeah, that was a. That was pretty funny. That was great. Um, what was that well, based I, on? Uh, so I wrote this play, Speed Dating. It's it's a 15-minute play. 
and um you know there's all these short play festivals around the country so this year mm -hmm. it will have been performed in 16 theaters really um and congratulations yes um thanks so it's one like the best play in four of the theaters and other ones it's you know generally when you send it out there's 150 to 200 submissions mm -hmm. so you know in 16 theaters they select it for like the top three and um wow. i i saw a couple of performances recently one in lake tahoe mm -hmm. and um you know the first part as you said it's really funny and the audience was great they were laughing the whole time and then the last third of it you can hear, yeah. hear a pin drop exactly it's quite because serious. it's about you know loss and stuff like that and mm -hmm. uh, so um Something about that play. So um, about six months after my operation, <clears throat> I sat down one day and it just poured out of me. Mm. So I really wrote it in one afternoon, you know, maybe 1%. I've changed a few words and stuff like that, but it just kind of came out of me. Um, and I'm not and sure can why. Can you tell us but, um, a bit about the story, what it's about? So um, it's a speed dating uh event for seniors and um so it starts out funny like the um the woman says uh, well tell me tell me a little about yourself and he says well i lost my wife and she says oh i'm sorry to hear that uh how long ago and he says two days ago so that that sort of starts it and then yeah. um he says, well, tell me more about yourself. And and he says, well, you know, he talks about his bowels and having a, a double lung transplant and and not being great financially. And and uh, and she says, you haven't dated much lately, have you? And uh, anyway, um, and then it's her turn. And she's and he says, well, tell me about yourself. And she says, well, I lost my hus husband yesterday. And he says, um, well, glad you can make the speed dating. And she said, time management. And um, yes. so. Uh, it's very clever. And then she that yeah, then she says, well, uh, I'm not sure if I like men or women. She says, I'm a, I may be a schizophrenic. And he says, well, that's, it's like dating a new woman every night. Actually, you know, I could almost, <laughs> know, I almost know the whole, the whole dialogue. So anyway, um, so people, I, I'm just like, uh humbled and shocked you know um you know i mean it's such a great way to tackle the often very somber subject of of loss and illness and stuff it's yeah i thought it was brilliant like i was like oh my god i gotta yeah <laughs> nice job nice. um and when did you begin writing essays and just generally speaking has writing always been a part of your life even when you were a a younger student when you were bad in school, did you still really enjoy yeah. writing? I think I started writing uh, when I was probably about 20, started writing plays. Mm -hmm. And then I started writing essays um, in 2016 after Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. And I was so outraged uh, by this event that um, I started writing about it. And um, it was, you know, I posted, my, posted it on Facebook and um i i started getting all these you know reactions <laughs> and um 
one of the interesting things I uh, I got a lot of reactions, mostly from women, saying, "You know, mm -hmm. thanks for writing this." Mm -hmm. And um, it's almost like I was a voice for them. Um, mm. You know, um, like they weren't able to speak up with in their marriage. You know, it was a a, a lot of couples were sort of um, divided during that time, and. Yes. Um, you know, I I was just outraged. I uh, and I wrote this one on gun control, and oh my god, that was the there was like two hundred and fifty shares and two hundred comments, and uh, that went on for a week. And I don't, I just write the thing. I don't get involved generally in the comments. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, hot topics. Yeah, I I, I just have to, you know, um, right now. So the uh, governor of Arkansas mm -hmm. um, is um, not allowing something like black history to be taught. She says it's uh, left-wing communist propaganda. Now, Arkansas is probably 49th in education. They got horrible statistics. And now she wants to, you know, sort of shut down a whole section of history. So anyway. That burns me. I'm I'm sort of that's my next that's my next um paper. I'll have to watch and, for that uh, one. Yeah. And these books I read, they always seem to find uh, I always quote them in these essays. So So writing and photography are very powerful artistic mediums. Who or what was your inspiration growing up that planted these seeds of self expression in you? You know, I think um, I just felt compelled mm -hmm. and uh, to communicate, and this the, those two were my mediums, and um, and then I was inspired by writers and um, musicians, artists, mm -hmm. and uh, specifically, there's three plays I saw mm -hmm. that just. You know, I, I consider um, theaters a spiritual activity. Yes, I would agree. Um, yeah, one time I watched this uh, play being, it was filmed. There's no audience. And I'm watching, I said, there's something missing. And I realized there's no audience. And there's a, there's a, there's a spiritual aspect with an audience. So mm -hmm. I saw, I saw three plays. I, I'm always going to plays that really had an effect on me. Um, Anna Devere Smith did this play, Twilight Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And um, she played 52 characters about the Rodney King um, period, and wow. um, which was unbelievable. But at the end, you just felt um, purged. You felt uh, it was like a healing. And mm -hmm. that was, and that's what theater should do. Another one was uh, Angels in America. Yeah. Just stunning. Um, stunning work. And um, it inspires me, you know. And, and, uh, and the third thing I saw when my son was, I think, six months old, mm -hmm. we took him to see, um, and he slept through the whole thing. We, we took him to see our Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross. The David Mamet play, yeah, and 
on the act, the actors were at the top of their game. And uh, again, so I'm constantly inspired mm -hmm. by people I read about or artists I see. Like every day, I write, I read a poem by Emily Dickinson. And the reason I do that is her economy of words are so astounding. So mm -hmm. the reason I read her poem, and first of all, it's, it takes a while to understand them. But uh, the reason I read that, I'm, I feel like I'm trying to get her brilliance through osmosis and uh, to uh, inhabit my muse so that, you know, because I, I, you know, my biggest Achilles heel in writing is I write too much. And, uh, you know, I try to get, I tr try to tell too much, too many stories. So um, anyway, so she. That as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the the stuff in your head, and you're like, I don't yeah. have to put it all away. <laughs> Give make another story out of all those yeah. storylines in there. <laughs> um, but you know, and the reason I'm so so Jerry Seinfeld, right? So uh, mm -hmm. Jason Alexander was talking about that show, and he said when Larry David was writing it, he always had four plot lines and they all converged at the end and when larry left you know there's only one or two plot lines but i like um stories that are multifaceted you know um and uh have a lot of texture to them so you know i that's my challenge to uh be economical but be grand yeah, yeah. I just watched, rewatched last night, um, Run on the Run. Did you ever see that? It came out in like 1998. It stars Frank Patente. I'm spacing on the director's name, but it's a German film. Mm -hmm. uh, it's only 80 minutes long, but yeah. has the, the storyline is basically the same, but he gives you three different stories within the same story, three different outcomes based on uh, the other supporting characters based on their circumstances, it has an effect mm -hmm. on what happens to the main characters. And I didn't really remember so much of the detail from before because however long ago that was when I saw it, but having rewatched it, you know, speaking of the economy of words and it was so well done. There was not mm -hmm. like a word lost in there. And they told mm -hmm. such a succinct story, three different ways in 80 minutes. Wow. That, that is quite a feat for a film. That is. I, I'd recommend you watch it the next time. You got some time on your hands. <laughs> well, you know, um, last spring um, there was a play playing. I can't remember the name of it at the Speakeasy in Boston, and it was seven and a half hours, and um, they did it over two nights. Yeah, or you know, we saw it one weekend. We didn't buy tickets for the second one because we wanted to make sure we wanted to see the second half. Mm -hmm. But it was so engaging. You did not realize it was three and a half hours so uh that's what i strive for you know these contemplate con contemplating or contem uh contradictions and stories and and uh mm -hmm. complicated that's the word i was looking complicated so um and it's hard to pull off but that's my goal there you go uh what are some of the risks that you've taken in your writing over the years? 
Um, I, I write too much. That's the biggest risk. When I was at Leslie, they're always trying to clamp me down. Mm. And um, um, they would want me to just cut stuff. But um, the problem was I just hadn't developed the story enough. Right. Um, so I kind of that was something that I had to sort of hold the line on. And they came around to my way of thinking. Um, yeah. But they, I, they, they had such great mentorship there. Um, one of my mentors was Kate Snodgrass, who has been the director of creative writing at BU for about 30 years. So um, she was great. She put me through the ringer, but uh, I learned so much from her. Wonderful. So my last couple of questions for you, Kurt. Tell me, what are you reading when you're not writing besides the book of poetry? Right now I'm reading King Lear because I'm writing uh, this play called Family Dinner. It's about families and a patriarch. Oh. Um, I'm also reading right now um, American Made, which is a story about um, the Midwest with all those factories closing. And it focuses mm -hmm. on about four families and the effect it has on them. Because I'm writing about that in my play, 1968. Where a, where a factory closes. Okay. I just read uh, A Fever in the Heartland by T Timothy Egan. And okay. that is about in Indiana in the 1930s, mm -hmm. where the KKK, actually, the governor was in the KKK. The senator was from the KKK. I think that there was like 30% of the population was in the KKK. The KKK was so strong then in Indiana but what happened, the guy that headed the KKK was a, just a really evil person, a sexual predator. And uh, one, one weekend, he picked up this woman and, uh, uh, you know, he raped her and, and blah, blah, blah. And um, she ended up dying. <clears throat> but um, the state attorney uh, got her confession and um, the editor of the local newspaper, you know, was basically trying to expose all of this. Mm -hmm. And um, so it went to trial and uh, the 12 people on the jury were all in the KKK, but oh, they, they convicted the guy. And that was the dis that was the beginning of the end of the KKK in Indiana. And um, so that gives me hope for when yeah. Trump's uh, trials start with juries of his peers, mm -hmm. um, even if they're big time Republican or MAGA, I have faith and they'll do the right thing. So um, I can only hope. Yes. Yes. Great book, though. Okay. And my last question is, what piece of music inspires you? You know, I grew up in Maryland, and I had the fortune to, uh, every night I'd listen to um, Howard University's radio station. <clears throat> and it played jazz. It played um, rhythm, blues. And I love that music. And then as so I was exposed to that. When I moved to Boston, I was so bummed out because they didn't have a similar station. But um, 
John Coltrane is maybe my favorite. You know, he's he's it, the spirituality of his music. Uh, whenever I need inspiration, I might put his music on in the background. Um, but anyway, that's you know, my son-in-law is from Missouri, so he's introduced the family to uh, country music. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when I put on jazz with my grandkids, I think it's. Um, I think it's the devil's whatever. So, <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kurt, for taking time today to come onto the podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yes, it was my pleasure. Thank you and very much. I, I can't wait to um, to read the next play when you're done, and I'm going to go through and read some of the other ones because I enjoyed speed dating so much. Okay, thank you. And I will put all your information in the show notes so people can link to your um, to your page to read your essays as well. Oh, great. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of My Time, My Life. And until next time, take care. Bye. My Time, My Life with Trinette Faint is a Floor 51 production.